Christ is still the King. Welcome to The Uncommon Good with Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr on Iowa Catholic Radio. Every Wednesday, diving deep in the truth of the Catholic Church and restoring all things in Christ. The Uncommon Good, live from the Mercy Live Up Studio. The Uncommon Good is on the air. I'm Bo Bonner, coming to, to you live from the Mercy Live Up Studio in Des Moines, Iowa, 11.50 a.m., 88.5 f.m., 94.5 f.m., streaming live, iowacatholicradio.com. And if you have Blessman Ministries and the People's Abstract Company, you can hear us on Iowa Catholic Radio's app anywhere that you can ambulate around with an electronic device. As always, we are underwritten by Cartridge World, which is the industry leader uh, delivering high-performance printing products that can help you save time, money, and print great. Perfect for businesses, home offices, college students, or busy moms trying to find affordable printing supplies, including ink toner, paper, or printers. Business customers, pick them and delivery are available for them, and their products are guaranteed for full replacement. Cartridge Rolls, your low-cost, environmentally friendly printing experts. 801 73rd Street in Windsor Heights, 515-564-7400 and online at cartridgeworld.com. And always underwritten by Mercy College of Health Sciences, your downtown Catholic college here in Des Moines, Iowa. We want to invite all of you to come to our Faith and Healing series. Uh, we have four speakers that come per year. We have our first one coming up really soon. It's going to be Thursday, September 21st, 6 p.m. to 7.30. We have Dr. Adam DeVille, who is going to speak to us about alter, alter egos and dialogue, Freud and the health of the Christian mind. If you want to, you can go to mchs.edu slash faithandhealing and register there so we know how much food to get for everybody. That's right, folks. There is food at hors d'oeuvres for everyone, hors d'oeuvres all around. Uh, but the big takeaway is the Faith and Healing series, we'd love everybody to make. It's open and free to the public. September 21st, Thursday, starting at 6 p.m. Well, something really groundbreaking, a new chapter in the Uncommon Good history. We have, thanks to the robot hordes of Bill Gates and Skype, we are able to reach across time zones and uh, the vast quantity of space all the way to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, to reintroduce Bud on the show. Bud, how are you doing? Oh, man, it feels so good to be on the show, Bo. I just, um, well, I don't know what metaphor to use. I was going to say constipation, but that might lead to some um, some bad, you know, fruits. So I uh, just <laughs> missed the show a lot last week, and it, it's great to be on air. So, you know, there's a lot of things I'm sure people want to hear about the new adventures in Budland and uh, everything like that, but I'm going to have to, uh, you know, steal, direct, direct the ship real quick and tell you... Um, I think the world wants to hear about French fries and salad, because I never heard this about Pittsburgh. Because we, I, I asked, I asked Tony and Jeb yeah. last week, what would be, Bud be munching on in Pittsburgh? And we all said hoagies because we didn't know any better. But you, out of the gate, have something to tell us to disprove us wrong. Well, I want to be careful here because you know um, I don't want to cast the city in a bad light during my first week here. But I have to say. I am. It is a bit of a cultural adjustment. So one of the things that I was warned about uh, before coming to Pittsburgh is the Pittsburgh left, meaning that drivers will take a left turn at a at a red light. Whoa. And so part of their culture is just flagrantly disobeying the law. <laughs> <laughs> but um, another idiosyncrasy is if you go to a deli or a restaurant, well, mainly I, I don't think like a sit down restaurant, but a deli and you order a salad like a garden salad. 
you specifically have to ask for no french fries because if you just order a salad straight up um the chef will will douse your salad with french fries so that's that was certainly a a, a curveball for me that is the, the sheer boldness of saying like i'm gonna want a salad presumably to be healthy but to really even it out because evidently in pittsburgh life is about balance uh you, you better like put some inst- fries the instinct you know it's like they're thinking we can't be too healthy right um and you know it is kind of a bummer to have to settle for leaves yeah. so the pittsburghians are just like heck we're throwing french fries on there salt them up a little ketchup and your your healthy lunch is ruined yeah i i really <laughs> i actually am really <laughs> proud of that sentiment i think that makes a lot of sense the other thing that so we we all know Pittsburgh of Three Rivers Stadium. If you've never been there, that's all you think of is you think that there's these three big rivers and it's like the Euphrates and the Tigris and, you know, Pittsburghian culture arose out of the primordial ooze of these three <laughs> rivers. But you said that it's actually almost like the Appalachian foothills if if you're not like in the middle of downtown. Yeah, again, I, I mean, I want to be careful how I frame this, but there's a part of me that thinks, you know, like, did God intend for a city to be built here? It's just um, the mindset of the the folks who settled here was like, yeah, there's mountains, there's hills, there, there's rivers, but we're just going to go after it. So I have to say, Bo, um, I'm sure I've surprised some people on the road because, you know me, um, I'm the anxious member of, of my marriage and, and driving here in Pittsburgh, I'm I'm sort of like an elderly uh, uh, driver, you know, I'm talking like late nineties cause it's just bare knuckled kind of like going down the interstate at 45 miles per hour because you never know when a tunnel or an exit on the left is going to be necessary. Yeah. Cause that was the other thing too, is, uh, the, the, the old map of Pittsburgh is you either to get downtown where you work, um, you either have to take a bridge or you have to take a tunnel and <laughs> it sounds like a choose your own adventure every morning. It sounds pretty exciting. You, you eat your fries, and your salad, and then you choose your adventure, and then you make it to downtown Pittsburgh. It's pretty cool. Well, I'm o- I'm only about eight days in, and I'm still using GPS to get to work because I just it, it really is kind of a maze. And when I was going through the discernment process about the move, um, Adam Story, who works for the diocese there in Des Moines, he said, "Have you considered the bridges and tunnels?" And I was like, "Ha ha, bridges and tunnels, you know." But um. His his face is it's like in the movies where it's like circling and he's haunting me like bridges and tunnels, bridges, bridges and, and tunnels, tunnels when I go to sleep at night. That's nice. Well, um to speak uh like like I said, the of the, the glories of Pittsburgh, you 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 work with the Oratorians basically. Uh, the Oratorians very much associated with the work of Newman, he became one and all that like but uh they're 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 next door and they it sounds to me like they have a pretty uh, glorious church, and then you know you're just all down there with them and stuff like that. So how's that been going? Yeah, that's kind of a that's kind of a shining jewel, I think, of downtown Pittsburgh. You know, Newman thought seriously about joining the Jesuits, and then for various reasons backed away from that. And he received um, the blessing from from Blessed Pius the Ninth, who found an oratory in the spirit of uh, Saint Philip Neri. And as far as I can tell, I mean, I know I'm a biased observer, but I think oratorians are really just thriving around the country and the world. Here in Pittsburgh, they actually recently purchased a new house because they have 11 uh, priests living in a residence that's really built for 10, and they've got vocations each year. So I don't know. I'm really I'm trying to find the right moment to um, to talk to one of them about uh, journeying out to Des Moines. Oh, yeah. Um, they run the, the campus ministry at Pitt, and it's, it's just really cool. There's uh, mass 
uh, each morning and evening with confessions before that. And there's um, perpetual adoration in the chapel. So I, I think they're having a real impact here. We have our big fall event coming up in October, and there's it's going to be the largest gathering of oratorians in history. So I'm I'm really thrilled about that. Well, that sounds great. I know we already have people here in Des Moines who are figuring out how to get you to come back and give, give a talk or two. So I think uh, Des Moines people will have to... Uh, think about if they're going to take a vacation, maybe hit up to Pittsburgh, get some fries on your uh, salad, and make sure to check uh, the website where you work to see if maybe they can swing by and uh, get oh, one yeah. of your events. So what's the website if people want to check out where you are in Pittsburgh? Oh, I want to make sure I get this right because we're, we're the National Institute for Newman Studies, but our website is actually the newmaninstitute.org. So uh, Institute.org. So and then this is this is a classic question for you, but this this happens everywhere you've ever gone to school, everywhere you've worked. Have you taken your professional picture yet, and does it look anything like you? Well, uh, <laughs> they've got a new they've got a new photo scheduled for me. I think after a colloquium last year, uh, Mercy took a photo of me, but I it was it was one of those days where I didn't expect it, and I didn't have my beard trimmed, so. It looks like um, a caveman is sort of like ready to attack the internet user when you right. head to our website. <laughs> well, and that brings to mind for me with you working at Mercy College, I know you and I co-taught some classes together. And I, how are you handling the good cop, bad cop thing? Because we could, we had some synergy in that regard. Oh, yeah. Are you a constant bad cop? or No, well, um, I constantly blame you for things because you're not around. So <laughs> I'm all like, the, like the... Are on your PowerPoint, and I should point out to everyone on air, Bud graciously let me use his PowerPoints because I hate them and I don't make them. But, like, <laughs> I'm clicking them, and, you know, like, for whatever reason, it's like yeah. Star Wipe or, like, the tile falls out and the new one comes up, and I'm like, what was Bud doing? So um, I don't know if it's good cop, bad cop, or more like, uh, you know, old widower who misses, you know, his wife but blames everything on her. That might be the best, you know, metaphor for this first week or two, Bud. Well, you maybe have a couple semesters of that going, but after year one or two, people are just going to think you're kind of crazy if you, you keep referring to this imaginary professor. Oh, I, well, so it's funny because, and then we should probably take a break, but this is funny because um, one class is full of, of seniors and juniors, and they all know who you are. So they're like, teehee, that makes sense. But, but there's one that is like 90% freshman, and you can tell they're like, is Bud real? Is this like a is this a coping mechanism? So it's pretty great. Well, before we go to break, um, I was watching Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt on Netflix last night, uh-huh. and there's there's an episode where I just couldn't help about thinking about our teaching vocation, where Kimmy has to go back to get her G or GED. Yeah, and there's a there's a teacher who's figured out how to game the system <laughs> that if you have tenure and you're bad enough, they'll actually just send you to this. Um, this break room where oh. all you do all day is like eat snacks and watch television. That's right. Yeah, I, I so like I never considered that. Oh, that, that was <laughs> that's the nuclear option. Well, <laughs> but when we get back from break, we have uh, Michael Vasquez, who uh, director of the St. Gregory's Retreat Center here in Iowa. So um, we're gonna go ahead and take a break uh, here for a minute. It's great to have you back, buddy. And when we get back, um, we'll uh, get to talk to Mike. So stick around, everybody. Sounds the good. uncommon good. We'll be back in a minute. Thank you, construction professionals, for underwriting our show, Man Up, heard Mondays at 9 a.m. and 9 p.m. Construction professionals have been long supporters of Iowa Catholic Radio, and we've seen their work. It's beautiful. 
They do remodeling or new construction that is innovative, functional, and designing what you want. It's a family business built on a strong foundation to create a new or remodeled home that is uniquely yours. cpcustomhomes.com. From our family to yours, God bless. Thank you, construction professionals. Girlfriends, how many times have you thought, I should call my friend to have lunch? We can make this easy for you. Ladies Mosaic Luncheons are back. You and your friends are invited to join us Thursday, September 14th at Christ the King Parish for a free lunch. Stephen Quirk from Youth Emergency Services and Shelter will be the guest speaker. Please help us bless Yes by bringing donations of full-size toiletries to the event. Check out our website for more details or RSVP at iowacatholicradio.com or call us at 515-223-1150. Support for The Uncommon Good is provided by Cartridge World. Cartridge World is an industry leader delivering high-performance printing products that help you save time, money, and print great. Perfect for businesses, home offices, college students, or busy moms trying to find affordable printing supplies including ink, toner, paper, or printers. For business customers, pickup and delivery are available. Products are guaranteed or full replacement. Cartridge World, your low-cost, environmentally friendly printing experts, 801 73rd Street in Windsor Heights, 515-564-7400, and online at cartridgeworld.com. Here is your forecast on Iowa Catholic Radio. We're keeping quiet weather and a warming trend in the forecast straight through Friday. Plenty of sunshine for the rest of today or high-ranging for the mid to upper 80s. Clear as the night goes on or low, low 60s. And plenty of sunshine for tomorrow and for Friday, too, or high-low 90s. Stray thunderstorms into Friday night. The weather is brought to you by Divine Treasures, celebrating 25 years of service to the greater Des Moines community. I'm meteorologist Jennifer Nairamore on Iowa Catholic Radio. We're back with the Uncommon Good, Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr. Today we have with you uh, Mike, Michael Vasquez, director of the St. Gregory Retreat Centers here in Iowa and various places. Mike, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Bo. Thanks for having me. Morning, Bud. Good morning. Well, it's great to have you here. Uh, you know, we uh, we were just talking to you over the weekend, and uh, I know you have a busy schedule, so it's always great um, when people who have a lot to do, stop by and talk with us. Uh, and uh, especially when you have stuff on your mind, I know um, Hurricane Irma was uh, occupying uh, some of your thoughts, so um, with all that in regard. So, Mike, you know, the St. Gregory's Retreat Center, um, you know, when in the Catholic world, uh, when we think of retreat, I think often we think of prayer retreat center. Um, but there's also retreat centers for people who are struggling, especially with substance abuse, um, and maybe in the world's eyes, those two things are irrevocably different. You either have prayer retreats or retreats when you're, you know, dealing with uh, physical substance abuse issues. But I think what would be fair to say for you, there's a lot more overlap between those things if we're going to be serious about caring for people with uh, addiction problems. It definitely is, because I think what's happened is people don't realize that when they're dealing with an addiction, you really lose your sense of self. And you really start to live, really, and um, just to, for that next fix or that next hit. And so that's the, we're faced with several challenges when we're when we're confronted with somebody who's trying to recover. Not only do we have to deal with the chemical dependency, but then all of the loss of self-esteem that goes with that, and then to compound that all of the burnt bridges, all of the lost relationships during that journey that got them to that point where they came to us. So it's a, it's something that we have to address kind of multi-track and deal with all of those at the same time and bring them all together at the end as they start to get ready to go home. 
Well, for people who aren't familiar, um, maybe could we give a, a brief introduction about um, the St. Gregory t- Retreat Centers um, here in Iowa, and maybe, um, you know, how, how long have you guys been uh, doing this, and uh, maybe where did this idea to do this come from? You know, we um, actually just finished or started our 10th year, um, and about 11 years ago, um, a friend of the family had suffered and struggled with addiction, lost that struggle, lost their life to that struggle. And Rosemary and I decided that we needed to really try and reach out and help to do something different because we felt we had done all the right things, but weren't sure that we understood the difficulties you go through the minute you find out. It's not something you're an expert in until you're faced with it. Interestingly enough, one in three Americans face this either directly through a direct impact on their life or indirectly through a coworker, a peer, or a family member. So one out of three people you'll pass today or come in contact with is or has dealt with this issue. So we decided we would help, but we couldn't really find it after several months of looking, couldn't really find an organization we felt we could get behind that, that had a success rate. Um, you know, if you had, uh, if you told me that my success rate was going to be 20% going into open heart surgery, I probably wouldn't be real excited about going to you as a, a surgeon, but that was the national average for success one year after leaving most treatment programs. And obviously then our question based on our Catholic faith was, you know, what were the virtues and the, the values that were brought out in, this pro- in these programs? So we decided to really found an evidence-based um, scientific program that's based, that was based on the current learning in medicine at the time but at the same time, overlay our Catholic values. So analogy I use all the time is the fact that we're very much like a mercy hospital where it's very evident who we are, but yet we treat a patient from all walks of life. So it doesn't matter where you're from or what your religious background is, um, but we want to make sure that you have the best chance. So it's amazing, though, the comfort people feel when when we separate the genders, men and women, and it's amazing how safe, for example, women feel because when they're in a, a place trying to recover, get their life back, the most women suffer from addiction from some sort of trauma, physical, mental, or sexual. And to be able to see nuns and habits walking the hallway, uh, working with them on their recovery, on their plan. And we have a proprietary program that we've, we've built that a lot of it's built around the tenets of Matthew Kelly of how do we become the best version of ourselves. And so working with the, the leading psychiatrists in the U.S., as well as the, our Catholic virtues, um, to start to guide a person, it starts to help us rebuild those um, uh, the things that were both self-esteem-related and those bridges we burnt as we, um, as we went through our addiction journey. And then at the same time, we try to deal on the physical side of what the chemical dependency has done to your body. So that's kind of how we got there. It's a long answer, but it's a it's been ten years in the making. Hey, Mike, this is Bud Mar. Um, reading somewhat about the history of your program, something that jumped out to me, and I'm sure um, you know you're you're sort of careful how you talk about this because those who have been in AA, I'm I'm sure like they they have a real affinity or attachment to the program. But you right. guys, uh, through your research, you kind of take a different tack. Could you talk about? maybe some of the differences between how you think about helping folks overcome addiction and maybe like the, the standard approaches that we're more familiar with? Sure. 
Uh, there are about 14,000 drug treatment programs in the United States. 98% of them use what everybody knows as the traditional 12-step program, um, and they've helped millions of people, so there's no denying that. The, the point we felt was that 10 years ago, which sounds like a long time ago, uh, it had been almost 70 years since there had been any change to what we would call the traditional methods. So we decided to do is start with a white piece of paper and use all the current research that was available and see what the evolution was in brain science, in brain chemistry, in psychiatry, and then obviously the things on, on how do we start to get people back on the path to recovery. And what we discovered was cognitive behavior therapy had become kind of the standard, but yet because most treatment programs are not clinically focused, they're really focused on the 12 steps of a program, it was very difficult for them to convert and implement this. They maybe had a hybrid or tried to use it, but unless you started with a clean white piece of paper, it was very hard to implement. And so cognitive behavior therapy is a uh, is a theory, but I can I come I went to Southeast Polk, so I can keep things simple here. But, <laughs> but on a, from an aspect of cognitive behavior therapy, it's based on the idea that your thoughts, really what you think every day, become what you believe. And what you believe in every day dictates your actions or the habits that you build in your life. And those habits start to define your character and how you're presented or perceived by the world, and that perception then starts to define your destiny. And so much of what in our life is we find that it's punity. Don't touch that fire, it'll burn you. Don't you do drugs or something bad's going to happen. And what that does, that intervenes at the behavior side of it. And that's why so many people... Once they leave a controlled environment, drug treatment, for example, all you've done is tried to change their behavior, not change their thinking. So we try to start at the very beginning and change their thoughts about it so that then we can impact their behavior, not try to impact and control their behavior. Short example. So let's say you've just come to St. Gregory, and we really try to find out what is the best version of you. If you didn't have these problems, who and where do you see yourself in your life? And let's say, for example, I've always wanted to be a fireman. And we want to make sure they truly believe that. So this isn't just a short question. So then let's map out how do you become a fireman. And then we map out the idea of what it's going to take to become a fireman and build a year-long program that you can start to work work through because you truly want to do that to change your life. So then we ask the question, what do you have to do? You have to get in shape. You have to take the test. You have to find a fire department that's hiring. And, oh, by the way, do you think you can pass the drug test for the entrance exam to become a fireman? Well, not if I'm smoking pot. But yet, hours before, we'd had a debate on whether pot's okay or not because it's legal in Colorado and a little pot's never hurt anybody. And try to have that argument with a, a college student or a young teenager or a teenager about pot. But when you have somebody who's working towards a goal, all of a sudden we've just changed their thinking about pot because their desire was to become a fireman more than to smoke pots. So that's a simple example that gives you a sense of what's your goal in life. Is it to rebuild your family, to get your self-esteem back, to get your career back, um, those sort of goals. And then you work backwards, and drugs, interestingly enough, or alcohol, never seem to fit in that plan. So one of the things that I'm, just from hearing this, that, it, that immediately pops to mind um, is you, we... We as Catholics, like you were saying, we, we will get the reputation that we, um, you know, we don't care about science, right? We, we're going to, like, you know, pray through things and all this stuff. And, of course, 
prayer is important, and we obviously see its central role. But what I'm hearing from you is exactly, uh, basically, an Aristotle's understanding of the human that Thomas Aquinas takes up and really um, explicates is that you can't act like our mental life and our physical life and our spiritual life uh, in any profitable way can be split asunder. There really is a, a mutual mapping between all of those. And if we don't do that... Um, if if you if you only try to focus on one and ignore the rest, you're just asking for the problems to repeat themselves. Yeah, and it's interesting how you, you because it really is based on the theory and the theological virtues that Aristotle looked in that perfect community 2,500 years ago when you're talking about fortitude and justice and temperance and, and the things that that you need because as I talked about, my thoughts become my beliefs and my beliefs become my actions. There's lots of choices to make along that. So what we teach people is is that here's the scientific way to start to recover, but as you make the choices at each step, you have to base them on either the theological or the cardinal virtues so that it's based on bringing love, faith, or hope to that, or the temperance or the prudence or the justice or the fortitude to get through those issues and make the right decision. So we've married the two, going all the way back to just as you alluded to, what does... Aristotle view as the perfect community, and then have brought it to today's in a, in a method today that we believe sees some of the greatest outcomes that are unmatched around the country. Mike, um, I was wondering if you could talk further about sort of the spiritual dimension to your work. I'm, you know, my my mind's kind of jumping all all over the place just hearing this fascinating story of your of you guys developing the retreat center. But I, I, I don't know, I'm thinking of the movie like, um, this is probably far out there, but like The Exorcism of Emily Rose. And I, I've always mm-hmm. wondered, as Catholics, how do we, we, you know, we want to be open to the idea that there's um, a spiritual dimension to, to healing uh, individuals, and yet not to jump to conclusions about like how dramatic a particular manifestation is. And mm-hmm. I, I know that you you all have like chaplains and I think nuns on your on your property, right? Uh, we actually have a convent at um, our Adair house for our women, and then we have um, have had priests for years and have pre- and now have priests who cover daily mass um, four or five days a week, and then we do mass next door at the, at the churches. So yeah, they're very. It's very evident who you know to have priests with their collars on walking the hallways, nuns in their habits. So it's very evident what we do there. Well, and, and on uh, just uh, piggybacking off of that, when when you try to talk to people about not only the sort of Aristotelian point about body and and uh, and mind, but you add in the spiritual de- uh, uh, element for people, like you say, you, you accept you accept all people who need help. Um, but when we start talking about the spiritual element, um, it, it, I know from talking to you, it's more than just you know, the power of positive thinking. What do you think about, you know, introducing the spiritual element to someone's well-being, um, what kind of difference it can make, and, and maybe how people respond uh, to that invitation? You know, it's very um, oriented to the timing because of where they're at. Because if somebody walks through our front door, number one, we believe they're bringing the devils with them because the devil doesn't want us to succeed the challenges are also looking for somebody to blame, so explain. So if we were to introduce it as 
right away and start pushing, if they're not ready to accept it, a theological view or vision, they're going to use it as a great escape. You know, this is God's fault anyway. And so the bishop has been good enough to allow us to have the Blessed Sacrament. Our chapels, as you come into St. Gregory's, are both near the front doors because we can have the Blessed Sacrament right there. And then it's amazing how we may we have lots of people who don't go to Mass because it's not required, because some of our patients aren't even Catholic, but to know that there are people in the chapel praying for you daily at Mass for your recovery, it's amazing how it starts to turn their hearts. And then at that point, and then we do believe, we, we want to make sure that there's not something else going on. And so you may know Father Rippinger, um, and so he, we have him come through regularly every few months and, and work with our patients and guests to make sure that is there something that, you know, is it an obsession, which is what you see a lot of times, and is it something that needs to be dealt with? And in all the years, you know, we've never really had anything much more than, than that. But we do make sure that their spiritual side is treated as much as uh, and available as much as they're willing and want to do. It's amazing the conversions and the people we've brought back to the Church, not through a conscious effort of ours. We've decided to step back on that side and let God really kind of control that in his time and in their way. Um, and But it's amazing to see the transformations in people's hearts over that, over a short, very short period of time, less than two months, that they're with us. Mike, I think what's exciting to me in reading about your work is, you know, a few minutes ago, Bo mentioned that in the broader culture, there can sometimes be stereotypes that uh, Christians are anti-science, whatever it happens to be. And, and reading about your work... Um, it sounds like you all are not only on the cutting edge, but that you have a kind of a success rate where you really kind of stand out in the field. Um, it sounds like, with that in mind, that in the past, maybe, that sometimes resources weren't always best used. And part of it is that so, so much of the money that we put towards mental health is being used sort of after the fact. And, and you guys mm-hmm. really focus on uh, prevention and true transformation where you've, you, you, you see less and less um, individuals who come in for treatment coming back several months later. Right. You know, the interesting thing is we're the only drug treatment program in the United States that has integrated predictive outcomes. And so it's an interesting concept. And as I looked at that several years ago, I just decided we had to do that. What predictive outcomes are is at the end of every session you have at St. Gregory, if it's an individual session or a group session or some activity, you actually score that session on its impact and value and your comprehension of how does it get you to the best version of you. Did it help? Did it impactful? And then we summarize that weekly. And if your score, it's a score of 1 to 40, and we have science and research that shows that if you're not scoring above a scoring that session above a 36, then for some reason you're not either getting it or you didn't understand how it fit into your recovery plan to become the best version of yourself. And so then what we do is we identify that and we schedule you then not for remedial sessions, but for sessions to delve in deeper to why you didn't think that was meeting your needs and so that it now could be and to make sure you comprehend it. So instead of waiting six months after you leave St. Gregory and you fail or you have a a relapse, we try to intervene and identify that potential for relapse while you're with us. And so part of the reason people always say, well, why do you have such a high success rate? And because a lot of times they're, you know, that the numbers are, are puffed up by some soft excuse. 
we think one of the reasons is the fact that we have integrated predictive outcomes so that we deal with the potential of you not comprehending a, let's take it as a virtue, and you don't really understand how fortitude factors into your life, all the way to a stages of change, and how do I move from pre-contemplative to contemplative um, on a psychological side, and that's key to your recovery. And if you're not getting that, then we identify it while you're with us so that we can make sure you have all the tools when you walk out our door to become the best version of yourself. And so that's just one example of several things we do that are very unique. Well, Mike, this has been fascinating. Uh, we're gonna we're running up on the break. Uh, can you join us after we get back from the break? Absolutely. Okay. Well, will you stay on the line, and we'll be back in a yep. few minutes with the uncommon good, Bob Bonner and Doctor Budmar. Girlfriends, how many times have you thought I should call my friend to have lunch? We can make this easy for you. Ladies Mosaic luncheons are back. You and your friends are invited to join us Thursday, September fourteenth at Christ the King Parish for a free lunch. Stephen Quirk from Youth Emergency Services and Shelter will be the guest speaker. Please help us bless Yes by bringing donations of full-size toiletries to the event. Check out our website for more details or RSVP at iowacatholicradio.com or call us at 515-223-1150. The Catholic solution to the health care problem is here. Paying too much for your health care costs? Solidarity Health Shares is a health care sharing ministry which provides an ethical way to fund health care costs while protecting and practicing our Catholic beliefs. Best yet, Solidarity Health Shares members are exempt from the fines and penalties in the Affordable Care Act. For more info, call 844-313-4999, again 844-313-4999, or visit SolidarityHealthShare.org. That's SolidarityHealthShare.org. Support for The Uncommon Good is provided by Cartridge World. Cartridge World is an industry leader delivering high-performance printing products that help you save time, money, and print great. Perfect for businesses, home offices, college students, or busy moms trying to find affordable printing supplies including ink, toner, paper, or printers. For business customers, pickup and delivery are available. Products are guaranteed or full replacement. Cartridge World, your low-cost, environmentally friendly printing experts. 801 73rd Street in Windsor Heights, 515-564-7400 and online at cartridgeworld.com. Established in Des Moines in 1924, St. Vincent de Paul's assists those living in poverty to become self-sufficient by helping to remove roadblocks on their journey out of poverty. With two thrift stores, a social services department, and an education center, St. Vincent de Paul served over 10,200 clients last year. All of their services are funded by local Local donations, grants, and sales from their thrift stores. SVDPDSM.org. 515-282-8327. This message is brought to you by Homemakers Furniture. Bo Bonner, Bud Marr, back with the Uncommon Good. We're speaking with Mike Vasquez, director of the St. Gregory's Retreat Center. Mike, thanks for joining us back after the break. Um, we've had interesting conversations about um, what specifically you guys do out at the St. Gregory Retreat Centers. I guess I have a broader question. We hear people talk about the need to approach both mental health and addiction. It comes up in the news all the time that people say this is something that we have to um, start to approach to do something about do you have any ideas about why it is that um, it's so hard for us to, to catch on doing something as effective as your guys' place? Is there something about how we understand um, community or the common good or the social order that uh, makes it difficult to be honest about these issues and to do something concrete about them? You know what we found is that so many of the psychological issues 
first thing we ask is we see lots of patients who come into St. Gregory that are dealing with um, bipolar or other sort of issues, depression, anxiety. And the first question we ask is really, does it predate your substance abuse or is it since you've started abusing drugs or alcohol? Because what we found is, is that nobody takes illicit drugs on a medication schedule. So you're given a prescription and you take the prescription every night at 10 o'clock or I take it at noon and 5. People don't use illicit drugs that way. So what that means is is it's very erratic based on access to the drug or finances. And so what that means is your body is always in a state of withdrawal. It's always going through this roller coaster of a chemical metabolism that moves you through different states. The key piece that people have missed, we feel, in the industry is the fact that as you move through these states, it, the side effects, what the presenting symptoms are, anxiety, depression, insom- insomnia, and so the things that they go to their local doctor, we treated 1,100 patients last year, and 60% of them had a mental health diagnosis or a prescription. But interestingly enough, when we interviewed them, very few had ever seen a mental health professional. What happened was they'd been diagnosed by their family physician who really had no mental health background, or they'd gone into the ER because they were feeling anxious but never disclosed the fact that they were just coming down off of heroin or they were just coming down off of cocaine. And so you see a lot of the mental health issues that we really bring people in and tell them we need to, in a cognitive behavior therapy program, which we try to impact your thinking, as I talked about earlier, we need to make sure we have a clean slate so you don't have a psychotropic drug that is changing your thought process because how can we truly get to the heart of it if you're having a chemically supported thought process? So we actually get you off of most of those drugs and less than 5% of people that once we bring them off and they now have the outlook of a light as opposed to facing jail or I'm a drug addict, I just lost my job, like most doctors will say, you actually probably have a mental health problem if you're not depressed about being a heroin addict. And so we found that we've been able to solve a lot of mental health perception by just really trying to clean the slate and get the body chemistry back in balance. Um, and so it, that's a great debate that continues to go on, and I know we're on the leading or bleeding edge of that debate, but we actually have... We don't, I don't know that we have the research as much as we have the firsthand experience after treating thousands of patients to prove out our case that, that in most cases we're right. Mike, um, I know that opioid addiction has been in the news a lot lately. I think it, it came up in the presidential election. When I was teaching at Mercy College, the nursing department um, arranged a whole conference around addressing opioid addiction and what's been described as an epidemic. Do you have a sense as to why this particular form of addiction has become so prevalent in our country? Um, several things. 90% of all the opioids, which uh, are obviously designed for uh, pain management, are in the entire world, 90% of all of those manufactured are taken by Americans. And so it's a bit of the pharmaceutical company making availability and and, uh, incentivizing. And it's physicians who are at a point where they're in this difficult balance of trying to provide comfort but yet do no harm. And so we find that the impact is, and I get into the scientific discussion of it, 
So you can be addicted to a painkiller within 72 hours. Three days of dependency. Uh, after three days, you can become dependent. Then based on your health level, how much, you know, what your normal sleep patterns are, your nutrition and your activity, are you susceptible then to become dependent or addicted? So our definition of dependency means that you're taking a substance, whether prescribed or illicit, and if you abruptly stop, your body physically responds to that, anxiety, vomiting, whatever it may be. Now, if you pursue that illicit drug or prescription drug with total disregard for consequences, meaning that I know if I take this another drink, there's a chance I could get an OWI, I know if I smoke more pot, I could lose my job, if I pursue that with total disregard for consequences at that point, then you're actually addicted. And so that's really the, the issues of the scientific part of it. It's a little more in-depth as it gets into how opioids actually mimic the molecular structure of endorphins in our brain. And so the brain can't delineate between, is this truly a natural endorphin or is this uh, a morphine or a, a, a opioid derivative? So, Mike, when I hear all that we're talking about, it seems to me that there's a way in which how we deal from everything from pain to mental health to addiction, that we have a very um, individual, atomistic uh, sort of baseline that we approach it with. So I I would think, and and like you said, not to cast aspersions on necessarily any other method, but when when the idea is like um, you yourself either lack the will or... There's something about you that needs to change uh, in order to get over this. Um, when I hear cognitive therapy and what you're talking about, your thoughts being different, it's not only that you as an individual think differently, it's that you start to participate in a community of different thoughts. There, there's, you know, to, to have an end or a goal in your life is also to see yourself um, nested and embedded um, in, in, a, in a web of relationships in a life. Do you think that maybe part of the thing... Part of the issue driving um, the opioid addiction in America and us being Americans being such a, a prominent, um, you know, group falling under its sway is our approaches to pain, to difficulties in life, uh, that we will start to be cavalier on this. We'll start to try to self-medicate instead of understanding even our trials and maybe a larger uh, communal framework, a, f- a framework that has, uh, you know, connections to many different people. is, And maybe that loneliness, uh, in, in a certain way, is driving a lot of this behavior. You know, it's, um, and it's that, that bit of, uh, of just the fact that there is suffering as part of life, understanding that. You know, that's why the body's designed to recover so quickly in a normal state, because it deals with a lot of ups and downs and pain the body can deal with. It's interesting we just had dinner with the bishop on Friday night, and we were talking about this specifically on how, you know, people just really need to understand that suffering is, because they do want, just as you alluded to, they want it easy, and they don't want to take the hard way, and, and they're looking for a soft way out, or, you know, the, and that's not to say somebody's is doing this consciously, it's just what's been taught or being told with the medical community saying, you know, you can take this painkiller and it won't hurt as bad. So it's something that we, as a society, I think, have evolved to that has started to become a normal sense without the realization of the the addictive elements of how we're doing it. In the case of the opioid epidemic, um, the problem is, is the, as I described earlier, the opioid molecule looks just like the body's endorphin, 
problem is, is when I'm done dealing with that situation, the brain's enzymes wash away the endorphin, and we kind of recover and we recuperate. So now the brain lets that uh, opioid molecule attach to the brain's receptor, thinking it's an endorphin. The problem is that with that that mood or that issue has passed, the brain's enzymes can't wash away the the morphine molecule, and then all of a sudden you start to build up a tendency and a dependency. So um, it, you have to look at the scientific side of it, but understand the psychological side of how do you fix all the things that that dependency has gotten you in. So it's a very complex issue, and it just and and it's not that as we started the discussion of about traditional methods. The science just wasn't there 70 years ago. So unless you made those changes or in, inter, introduced those capabilities, the program just can't deal with what we you know, know of today and what we're dealing with today. You're listening to The Uncommon Good with uh, Bo Bonner and Bud Marr. We're talking to Mike Vesquez, founder of the St. Gregory Retreat Center. Mike, um, like you said at the beginning of the show, so many Americans have been impacted um, by this issue, and whether that's um, through experiencing addiction themselves or um, uh, struggling with loved ones and family members through this process. Um, and yet I know from, from talking to individuals from my own life, when you're close to someone who's struggling with addiction, you can really feel at a loss to, to provide help. Do you have some ideas or thoughts about what are some concrete steps, if you have a loved one who's struggling with addiction, what are some concrete steps that um, our listeners can begin to think about? You know, it's interesting. Here's some data that a lot of people aren't aware of. A brief intervention is the most successful drug treatment in the world, meaning that there are people who get arrested uh, for OWI, and almost 20% of the people who get arrested for OWI will sit in the back of the police car and say, I am never going to have another drink again and 20% of people will not drink again. Cocaine, a cocaine addict will get fired from their job, and 20% of them will say, I'm never going to have cocaine again because I want to get back and get my career back. Um, spouses who get kicked out because they're smoking pot, and 20% of them will stop. Just because of that brief intervention, whether it's financial, whether it's health, or whether it's, it's career-related, and so the, the message I would want to get out there is the fact that we have to take a mindset that we can't accept unreasonable thinking or actions. And so it's something that we see every day. You know a family member or a loved one when something just doesn't seem right or reasonable. But we tend to be, take a medical attitude towards it that that'll heal itself. It'll fix itself. And the problem with addiction is it actually compounds and gets worse. And so we all carry a burden intervene and intervene as soon and lovingly as we can um, so that we can create for that person that brief intervention that we know 20% of the time may be all they need to get back on the right track. And also at that same time with that intervention, if it's not successful, is it identifies then the need for other help that you can now reach out and get for them and make them aware that you know. Because so many times, um, you know, we stick our heads in the sand and it continues to get worse until some crisis happens, health, financial, or legal. And at that point, you know, then sometimes it gets out of your control. And I think that's the message is to intervene with the idea of trying to deal with this under your control as opposed to waiting for a crisis to happen, and then it's being dealt with under somebody else's control. 
Well, and I think about that, too, that we kind of will take this attitude even towards something like prayer. And again, it's not um, conscious. I don't think a lot of people go like, well, I'm going to I'm going to, ha- you know, save prayer until it gets really bad and then I'll break it out. It's, you know, things are going fine. I'm not thinking specifically about it. And then something happens and we go, oh, my goodness, I need to pray for these people. But going back to that theme of, like you saying, that we have a burden and a responsibility to um, gently and lovingly intervene in each other's lives, um, even when that comes to prayer, how often do we pray for people before anything's wrong? Well, if we're not even able to do that, something as easy as praying for someone before something goes wrong, you know, we're more, of course, when it comes to actually doing something, we're more likely to wait until it can't be ignored. And so I, I really like how you put that sort you know, it, we don't want to be meddling. We don't want to, like, endlessly bother people. And, and I, I understand that as well. We don't want to live, like, with our friends and family, like we're, you know, bureaucrats that have to keep checking up on them. But that doesn't have to be the only model of being deeply entwined in someone's life. If we really are loving and have those sort of relationships, it's like you said, you'll, you'll know something seems off before things get catastrophically bad. Absolutely. And I think that's just something that, and as you look back and reflect, you'll know. And so it's so hard for us. Uh, because we tend to be more personal and don't want to bother somebody or don't want to intervene or we don't want to upset them. When and would you rather be have them upset at you and help save their life or save their soul, or would you rather just let it go down a path that we that we think may be destructive? And so you know, that's not a hard decision. Uh, and when you look at it retrospectively, but I think it's very hard to make that decision up front. And so it's something that a message you just need to hear that knowing that. You know, 20% of the time when you'll do this, that'll be the only treatment they'll need. Um, and again, other percentage, obviously you're going to get a higher percentage will need help, but you have to take that chance. Well, Mike, we're getting ready to wrap up with our interview here, but I want to take this last part to say if people um, want to know how to reach out uh, to you guys, if they want to ask questions, if they have people they have in mind, but um, or maybe a web address or phone, how, how can they get a, a hold of you or just maybe get a bit more information if they want to uh, get more comfortable, um, like you said, being able to gently intervene for people? Um, I think both. Our website is stgregoryctr.com. So it's st and then Gregory and then ctr, short for center, dot com. But we have counselors on the phone from 8 a.m. until 7 p.m., five days a week at 888-778-5833. So it's 888 888- Seven seven eight five eight three three, and they can help walk you through the process. And so, folks, like we said, that uh, we're hoping that um, maybe we, you know, with the show that you, you learn a bit about um, the, the the wonderful work that's being done on behalf of those who are truly struggling um, by the church through this great ministry. But also, if you you hear this and you have people in your life, or maybe it's yourself that that you think you could use use help, please feel sh- uh, not only free but encouraged and uh, empowered to reach out because, uh, like like Mike has been saying the whole time, reaching out is not meddling, it, it's caring, and uh, those people are there precisely uh, to be there for you. So uh, Mike Vasquez, founder of St. Gregory Retreat Center, thank you so much for coming and, and speaking about this very important topic. Um, it's been great to hear from you, and uh, we really do hope that God blesses you in all the ministries uh, that you guys are running. Thanks, bud and Bo. God bless. God bless. Um, 
So yeah, well, thank you for. Uh, I mean, that was like I said, we we do talk about things in the abstract quite a bit, bud, and uh, yeah. I, and you know it's good to be able to do that and. Um, you know, we try to make it as concrete as possible whenever we're talking about even doctrine and things like this. Um, but it's nice to have a show like this where it really is a concrete matter that if people um, are facing these problems, there's something to be done. Yeah, that's right. And, and Bo, I couldn't help but think that, that this show, I mean, was such a substantive interview, but it really tied into what we've wanted to accomplish with the show and the common good. Um, you know, when you get into the Gospels, from the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, he's providing healing and wholeness, not only for physical elements like leprosy, but really um, helping all sorts of individuals just come to a place in their life where they know peace and joy. And I, you know, we've talked on the show before just how integral this has been to the church's ministry since the time of Jesus, that we have people like Mike and uh, Rosemary who are on the front lines, and they're really carrying on the healing ministry of Jesus Christ with their holistic approach to addiction. I mean, I just really want to wave St. Gregory's Center as this, as a real accomplishment of the church that, you know, like, like we said, they're, they're having a kind of success rate that stands out in the field. And that, that's just a shining jewel, I think, of the church's ministry. Well, and I think it's also a very shining example of, like you're saying, being able to talk about the theological and spiritual approaches, but then not feigning from the science involved in this at all. Um, I mean, I know that you know, we we pressed this point, and, and he pressed it as well. But when you confront people who are like, well, you know, you guys are the church, and you have these bizarro ideas, but, you know, here's reality on the, the line. Science and beakers and bleep blorp sounds and computers. And you're like, hey, here's St. Gregory's Retreat Center. And literally, they're the ones who are like, what's the actual science say? And let's um, make you know, let's contour what we're doing to actually respond to it. So, again, something that we've done forever. We, we've been, as the church, the vanguard of this. Um, but it just bears repeating because people forget this reality so often. Bo, I know we're running short of time, but wouldn't you say this is really a misunderstanding about church history where the, ch- the church utilizes things like sacramentals and people find healing through through holy water or holy oils. And that makes sense because God created the world and his son became incarnate. And so, of course, he's going to use the things of this world to convey grace. But the church, if you, if you look through history, Bill, wouldn't you say that uh, you can see all sorts of priests and thinkers, philosophers, theologians, who as science progressed, there, was, there hasn't been this like um, allergy to it. It's really this idea that God, like all knowledge, all truth is God's truth. And so the church has always been open to incorporating those things into our ministry. Yeah, I think that all you have to do is go read up on the Big Bang and see that you have a priest who was doing the calculations to originate that idea. Uh, you look at uh, genetic inheritance and the, the experiments that really bore that out, and you have a monk. I mean, you, the, the list goes on and on. But I think that's exactly right. And precisely the sort of drive to understand and appreciate the universe and the creation that God made, um, but also especially like in the case of St. Gregory's Retreat Center, when it comes to how are we going to help our brothers and sisters who are suffering, um, then we will use everything um, at hand, uh, not only in the spiritual world, but in the physical world as well, to try to help them out. So, it- speaking, of it, speaking of innovation, I, I don't feel like this first uh, remote show went too badly. No, I, there was a few times that you... Uh, like you sounded a little bit clippy, but I think I we should just say that that's how people in Pittsburgh talk, and you're starting to sound <laughs> like them. Like in Pittsburgh, like well, hey, hey, but how did you like yeah. the Pirates game? That's how you guys talk, right? 
Can you get me if a you, salad with some French fries? If you think that works, we'll just stick with that. I mean, feel free to try the landline next week, but we're committed to uh, ironing out some of those wrinkles, and I look forward to the conversations uh, uh, th- this year. Yeah, well, it's been fantastic to have you back, and uh, it makes it a lot easier. Like I said, we had to do th- I had to do the show all by myself last week, and I know Brian Sudlow really well, so that works out, but um, you get vastly more tired uh, <laughs> when it's just you. I don't know how John Leonetti does it. It starts to make sense why he, speaking of addiction, is addicted to pumpkin spice lattes. Like He probably needs those <laughs> shots straight into his vein just so he can do all those shows by himself. Well, I feel like it's a timely um, day for me to come back, because I don't know if Deacon Tony's noticed, but the cards are only two back of the Cubbies now, so we have... Uh, well, I was going to say historic, but really I would say a traditional Chicago collapse in the works. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Here here we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah. From Pittsburgh, I get <laughs> that's this. That's right. So. Well, I was going to ask, but the last thing I was going to ask you is, how is it living in the future an hour ahead of time? Is is the world better an hour from now? Oh, man. It's it's going to take an adjustment. Like watching football, uh, the, the games on Saturday wrapped up, and I was like, oh, I can, you know, Read before bed, and it's like 1 a.m. <laughs> oh, man. And you're, you're like, on the very western part of the time zone, too. Oh, man. Yeah, it's a bit different. But I'm hoping maybe with me being here in Pittsburgh that we can break into a new market a little bit. I need to I need to talk to the radio station here. And, and, and that reminds me, at the end of the show, we always try to encourage our listeners, of course, um, to thank you for your support, right. for your prayers, for your financial support. So if there's there's any way you can continue to contribute to this ministry, we're just so grateful. And uh, we do pray for your intentions, your family, your loved ones all the time. Yep. Send in that real salad and french fries, a.k.a. <laughs> cold hard cash and coins. Well, with that, folks, we have to wrap up. Uh, yep. Uh, may Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, rule in all of our hearts, our cities, our state, our nation, and the entire world. God bless us. This has been the Uncommon Good with Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr. See you next week. <laughs>